as a leader, you cannot be in the operations all the time. You have to set the tone to be strategic. You have to have the vision. And it was a hard one. It was a hard lesson for me. But thankfully, I have a team that actually, they came to me and said, think it'd be best if you're not in the operations. What are we talking about on the Grow Your Damn Business podcast? We're talking about business, specifically your business. Is it growing or are you stuck? How painful is that growth? Is it running you or are you running it? Are you working in your business or on your business? On the Grow Your Damn Business podcast, we explore these questions and much more. Expect a lively, spirited discussion about what it takes to grow your damn business. And now, on to the episode. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Grow Your Damn Business podcast. I'm your host, Scott Goodrich, and joining me today is Brent Holman. Brent is the author of Leaders Look Within and the CEO of Midwest Laboratories, joining us from sunny Omaha, I believe. Brent, is that correct? Do I have my location correct today? That is correct, Scott. Always sunny in Omaha. Thanks for joining me, Brent. So good to have you here. So good to be here, Scott. This is going to be fun. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You and I had a chance to connect a couple of weeks ago, so we'll try to draw on that, but also see where our conversation takes us. You know, Brent, let, let's just start with what you're doing today and running Midwest Laboratories. Then we're going to go over to the books. I know you're grabbing a lot of lessons just from your experiences there. So let's just tell me a little bit about Midwest Laboratories, the history there, how you got leading the company now. Love, love to just get a little backstory on that. Okay. Sure, Scott. Midwest Laboratories. So my father founded the company in 1975, and we have just grown. It started with plants, soil, and water, and from there, it's just exploded into food and pet food and feed and just a whole host of different tests. And through that process, or through that growth since 1975, we've expanded from one small building behind a local Krispy Kreme donut place to now 14 buildings. And now we're in the process of even relocating again to a brand new campus. So the tremendous growth has really happened probably more so even in the last five years, but really took off about the late 2000s. And my dad was always hands-on in the business up until mm -hmm. he retired in 2020 at the age of 80. I came back in 2005 as a marketing director, took over in 2016, and it's just been just the growth in the last five years yeah. and the way to manage that has been really transformational for me as a leader. All right. So I got to unpack a few things there. So first off, how do you leave a building that's right behind a Krispy Kreme? It always smells. I mean, it's perfect. It's like, <laughs> that's a tough move right there. No, no. It, it is the humble beginnings from three offices yeah. to the whole building. And then, and that's what I tell people when people ask where the original location is. I know it's right behind the Krispy Kreme over there. They can relate to that. Absolutely. So was it always a foregone conclusion, Brent, that you're going to come back into the business that your dad founded? Because you said you came back in 05. Obviously, the business has been around for long before then. So you know, what was that like for you to take that into consideration? Because it's always an interesting dynamic when that happens. I started working when I was 15 and I would work after high school or go to college, come back, work summers during breaks. And then after I graduated from college, my dad and I really had this agreement that, no, I was not coming back right away. Okay. And that I was going to, I needed some professional career experience out there before I, he'd even consider me coming back, which I think was the best decision at the time. Because I know yeah. he knows too, if he would have brought me in right away, I would have been, always been looking on the outside. What's, you know, what's out there? What's better? Yeah. And being in corporate world for several years, the opportunity presented itself. I thought, you know, I need to go back. I want to go back and see if there is something here. 
again. And I think through that process, I don't know, but back then, an entrepreneur was hard in the 70s, 80s. Yeah. And I think my dad gave me the mindset as like, you shouldn't do this. You should really think about doing something else. And I think that was kind of what I grew up with. So when I took over that whole mentality, I had to really find, do I have that entrepreneurial spirit inside of me? Took me about a year to discover, yeah, absolutely, I do, but I didn't know at the time. And I really, I think that was really important for me to find that because you have to have that if you're going to be in this business. It's so funny that, that you bring that up. It's been a theme we've had on and off throughout the folks that I've talked to. And even and what I've, we've guessed it on some other shows is, is this notion is, are you born an entrepreneur or can you become one? And you know how does that work? There's definitely schools of thought out there I can just share just in listening to Gina Wickman speak. And he's the founder of EOS and wrote the book Traction. He would be, he's always in the camp that they're born. There's an inner fire that comes to you, it's, it's part of who you are, it's part of your core makeup, like that is there and you're not to be denied. You couldn't even fathom working for somebody else, you have to work for yourself. So that's his belief. There seems to be a middle ground that I'm finding most people are there, it sounds like you're finding that as well, like you're, you have it, but your dad said, hey, try something else. I guess he maybe wanted to test you. Well, and I think so, I think that could have been part of it too. Yeah. And I do the same thing with my kids and uh, I have five adult children and I have really taken the step that I wanna encourage that. Yeah. And I hear them talking and anytime they say, well, I'd like to own my own business. Oh yeah, you should do that. I took the opposite approach. I think that was important too. So I was starting to keep, when I took over in 2016, I said, we're like a, we're a 40 year old startup with capital, yeah. which is the best place to be. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah. But I do, I think I treated the business as a startup and we really had a lot of catch up to do because we were lean and mean. <laughs> we needed more processes and we need in place and we needed more people and there was a lot of things we needed to do right away. So I felt like we were acting more like a startup company that's been around for 40 years. It's okay if you don't answer. We didn't talk about this before, but I'd, I'd love to get the answer to, to two questions related to one another. One is, what is the thing you took from your dad that really works for you today? And then I'd like to flip that around and say, what's one thing that he was doing that you said, nope, I'm going a different direction. So you can start either way, but I'd love to get kind of both, both sides of that coin from that experience, which is unique to come in and really come into your, follow your dad's footsteps, right? Absolutely. And that was really the premise of the book was that kind of searching inside what, what are these things? One thing my dad always instilled in me was you need to watch your costs and cash flow the business. Boom. He hated debt. I hate debt still to this day. I get calls every single day for more capital or additional partnerships and stuff. And I really fight that because as he told me, once you do that, once you sell out, it's not going to be the same company. So that was really instilled in me. And I still want to take that to the next level. Yeah. One thing I probably said no to is this whole notion. And this is probably the biggest one was, and I didn't realize it as much until I got out, but he was in the operations his whole mm -hmm. life. Yeah. Until he was 80. And as a leader, you cannot be in the operations all the time. You have to set the tone to be strategic. You have to have the vision. And it was a hard one. It was a hard lesson for me. But thankfully, I have a team that actually, they came to me and said, think it'd be best if you're not in the operations. And they were so right because we needed to look forward. We needed to move at a more rapid pace. And they said, it shows that you trust us. So there was a trust factor there as well. Not surprising that he was there, just I think given generation and sort of what he came about and what, what he knew. Did you and he ever have that conversation about him? moving it and spending more time working on the business than in it? Because it certainly sounds like he tipped the scales to being in that business and knowing the 
all the goings on and all the details and all the stuff that happens day to day. Yeah. I think it was a different approach. Yeah. I think it was lean and mean, and he did trust his people. He delegated a lot of stuff that he didn't do towards the end. Okay. I just don't think he knew how to lead. And I think it was really hard. It sure it was his yeah. baby. I mean, even when I was, we were working together for five years, he was the boss. I mean, he was absolutely the one in control. Yeah. And I really respected that. And I think that was the hard part. I think he finally quit during COVID because at that time he has lying health conditions. He was home. Yeah. And I think he felt like, I need to do something. So I think he finally found a way or reason that he could step away from the business. Okay. So if you don't mind sharing, what was that emotion like when it finally became time and it was now you're out from underneath his wings, so to speak, obviously later in your career, but you know, finally you know, getting that opportunity, what were some of the emotions and reactions that you had when that actually became a reality? I'm sure you thought about it, but now it's a reality. Now you're in the seat. Yeah. But what was that like? It was more about, okay, I'd there has been this great infrastructure that's in place. How do I build on the, my father's legacy? How do, we, how do we keep this going? And I made a lot of mistakes, as probably a lot of people do. Sure. But yeah. we learned from them, and we, you have to have a solid infra infrastructure. What was the goal back in 2020? The top goal was, oh, we got to work on our infrastructure. 2021, we got to work on our infrastructure. I mean, it's, it's not the sexy thing. It's not the thing that most people want to talk about. but we needed a lot of catch up. We needed to document processes. We needed new processes. We needed to put people in the right place. We went from 100 employees to almost 300 employees because we were so short of staff. We were growing, but we didn't have the people. And we had to find ways to make this work. And that's a lot of change in a few years. And um, we, we never closed down during COVID and we stayed open. So we were constantly working on these things over and over. And it really did test us. Looking back, COVID kind of accelerated all these things, but that's probably, in our situation, that was probably a good thing. Yeah. Execution so critical. So you're saying infrastructure, my brain is going execution. We're talking about the same thing there, right? Making sure that you can do those things, this, the best things, the same way each and every time, and then build it. It's going to give you the ability to scale as well once you've got that. And those underlying processes in place, right? It had to be on your mind. Right. And in the book I yeah. talk about, I got it from my chief officer of operations, she planted these three words in my head were people, process, and technology in that order. Sure. Yeah. And that was it. I mean, it was people, process, technology. We had to have the right people. Then we had to get the process. Soon after that, it was the technology that comes last. And that just stuck with me all the time. And people take the most time. But you'll go further, faster with the right people than any process or technology. Yeah. I mean, the companies that we work with and most companies, even if those that don't spend time uh, working uh, or running their business on EOS, it's the people challenges that are there. And it, it's just about understanding what is good people for your business, right? Who are they? What do they look like? What does that mean when you just say, I want to find the best people? You really need to define that. It sounds like you spent the time oh, yeah. in doing that really invested, investing in there. So critical, right? We use the Jim Collins terminology, right people, right seats, very popular. But you say it, but do you actually do the things you need to do to enable that? That's another step. And, and most of the time, the issues that a company faces on the people side of things, 60% of the issues or so we say, those are people issues, right? Something's going on there. There's not the right person in the right seat all too often. Yeah. And I think the big piece of that was having, we sat down in a room. It took us probably a good week to do our a new vision and new mission and our redefine our core values. And we all had to be on the same page or it wasn't going to at our executive team. And so we, that, it took us a week. We were kind of mean with each other. We were, you know, 
laughing. We were crying. We had all the emotions, but we all had to be at the same page. And once you have that, and then you're all behind it, you can enforce that. You can hire to it. You can write processes to it. But it is the key. And we say at every monthly town hall, we, we repeat our mission, our vision, and our core values every single time. Speaking my language, my friend, that's beautiful, right? Love to hear that those things are set, but also are being shared with everyone, right? It's so if you keep them close to the vest, you actually don't get the buy-in across and it doesn't allow you to, to scale. Folks don't know where you're going and, and you're doing those things to create the transparency and show them the way. So it's funny, you know, you're not the first person I've talked to and I can speak for myself personally. COVID forced some things as tough as it was and as challenging as it was, there are some silver linings that have come for certain businesses if they really took that time to really dig in and reassess what was important, what needed to be prioritized. We went through the same thing in the little business that my wife and I run, but we just kind of retrenched and, and redid some, reworked our whole operating procedures and process. Yes, our hand was forced a little bit, but we came out stronger than we went into COVID. Hand was forced, like you said, so it, it accelerated it. But we kind of look back at that going, kind of a watershed moment for our little business, to, despite the challenges and not even being open, right? The business that we're in was actually shut down by the state. Man, it's amazing. Sounds like you took that same opportunity. There was a huge connection from the top to the bottom through the whole company of safety, safety first. Right. So if you can even remember social distancing, we are so tight today. We're like right next to each other. So we had to literally spread the day out from five in the morning to 11 at night because we were too close to each, to each other. We wore masks. We did all the PPE stuff. We even hired a person, washed all the door handles. I mean, we were just anything that we could to eliminate the virus. We took safety to another level. And then we developed a COVID manual. It was over 250 pages. You think about 250 pages of different procedures or policies because we wanted to follow CDC and things. The other good news, I mean, part of it, you hear about all the... Uh, the PPP money that was given to companies, we had 2.8 million given to us, but we were doing so well, we gave that all back. We didn't even use any of it. But it forced us, all these things, you had to really be on top of your game to know what was the next thing. What, what do you need to go to next? Oh, we're an essential business. We can't stay open. We don't have to shut the doors. When people come in here, they can only go to here. And then the guards, every cubicle in the office had plastic on top of that plastic. And I mean, it was just safety after safety. We were trying to do what we could to keep our people safe during that time. I just love that because it was the beginnings of what you're talking about and building. You, you built the process because you were forced to, right? Because you wanted to keep operating, but you were able to take that same discipline and then push it into, I'm sure, into other areas of business, right? So you talked about infrastructure, but that's what you're talking about. You're building something that can leverage for your growth going forward. Yeah. And, it's, and one of the big ones, we didn't have work from home before this. So it was kind of fun. We, uh, within 48 hours, we went to the local places, bought as many laptops as we could, and we had work from home for the first time with our office stuff. And then through that, this whole, you know, come back to work and all these things that I keep reading about, we've just never, it's an option. It's an option. We give it to our directors. Are they getting their work done? Then, okay. Then, you can manage that process through your own departments. Now, lab work, obviously, they don't have a lab in their home or apartment, but, but it, it's really worked out well because, again, that trust and what was set out when we first put the in place. Hey, Brent, I do want to ask you because you, you spend a lot of time on Mission Vision, but also core values. It's really essential, particularly when we're talking about people. You want to have those right people. You want to make sure that the folks that you're attracting to your organization are aligned with your core values. 
Would you be willing to share one or two? I don't know this year, but just one or two that have really resonated for your leadership team. And then, then when you said them, right, or shared them a lot, it was like, oh yeah, that's who we are. Like it just hit home. Do any really stand out when you look back on that time? Two of the key ones that I probably talk about all the time are people first and do the right thing. We really go over those two things a lot of times, especially I know when there's a personnel situation, what was the right thing to do at that time? Did you take steps to do that? Did you, you know, if it's people first, did you, are we taking care of our people first versus, you know, your test, something else? I really do think those two right away just signal what kind of company that you really have for us. No, and you got to be able to have those anchors. We actually, my wife and I had our meeting with our staff this week and we were talking just about that. And it's just a reminder, okay, when you're going to do this, what value are you going to reference in this conversation, right? So you bring those and really bring them home because if you can live them and talk about them every day and tie back decisions and situations to the values, they're not just on a wall. They're not just in a booklet. You didn't just talk about it one time. Like they're living, breathing things. And, and when you can do that, that's how you, that's how you live core values. And it's not just a bunch of slogans and stuff that it should hang out there, right? Yeah. Look, I've been at, worked at a lot of companies that, that can happen right, from time to time and it's well-intentioned, but they actually don't mean anything in terms of how the business is running day to day. Sounds like you've taken it and really incorporated it into how the business is, is working, running, and are handling things every day. Yes. Yeah. No, I would agree. Uh, so let's talk about your book because it sounds like a lot of these lessons that you are, have shared with us and that you've been working through since taking over sort of manifest themselves in a book. So just tell me about, not an easy undertaking to do that. So what inspired you and give us a little history you know, behind Leaders yeah. Look Within? So I had met a self-publisher at, at a mastermind I was in and she kind of recommended that maybe I should write a book at some point. And it was 2020 during COVID. We were all looking for a hobby or something to do. So uh, I thought, you know, for the last five years, I probably should document. And I was actually going through the process. So I thought this would be kind of cool. So I started to write a book. I didn't even know if it was going to be more on the entrepreneurial side. I had all, I don't know, 30 different ways this book could have gone. So she said, why don't you work with a ghostwriter? So I did that. And he really was able to pull a lot of things out of me that I don't think I realized that I had in deep inside me as a leader and did it on paper and really organized in a way. And a funny story about this process that you get all the way done and you're not supposed to have anybody read it till it's all done. Well, I got all done. I give it to my wife. She reads it and she says, this is on you. So that was my first attempt. And I thought, she says, this doesn't sound like you. And she was absolutely right. I had to think about that. And during COVID, I think our values were really tested. Obviously, you know, with all the social stuff going on on the side too. And I was a little scared. And I was scared again to put my faith out there, my values out there. And she was absolutely right. And that was what was missing in the book. That's why it was up. So I took a whole nother year. I rewrote the whole book and I incorporated that into the book. And I'm so glad she was absolutely right. That's who you are that as a leader. You have to stand for something and your values speak heavily of everything that you do. And that's the piece that was missing. And I had to incorporate that. And I'm so glad I did because that was really worth that. Even at, with all the pressure and noise that was happening during that time, I needed to stand for something. And so I really had to take that next step. Good for you for doing that and taking the time. Yeah. I use the term finding your voice and it can be a challenge there. I'll speak for myself. There are going to be times when you feel like I need to be something a little bit different than who I am in this situation. And when you do that, you know, you 
just doesn't feel right, but you're playing a role, you're doing something that there's no nothing authentic about it and, and you're not putting yourself out there in the right way. And I challenge myself on this all the time. Like, just go be who the heck you are. Folks are going to react to that. What are you trying to do and, and act as if or be something different? Like, it doesn't pay off, right? And it comes through, right? And when you're inauthentic and are not sharing your style, folks are now going to either like the thing that you're trying to be instead of who you actually are. Like, that's all screwed up. <laughs> that's a mess. Like, now everyone's like, who was I in that meeting? Or who was I when I did this job? Or like, who am I fooling here? Like, just... Let it out there, right? And most folks who can find their own voice, be their authentic self and get into that space, well, they're going to be better off because they don't ever have to worry about how they're going to show up. They're just going to show up. Yeah. Right? Don't mean to get too much into the psychology of this, but do you feel like there was some challenge there just because the voice of your dad who ran that business for so long was there? Did you feel like you had to be a little bit of what your dad had been for a while there, like before you could really be your own person and take the organization the way that you wanted to? Was it that playing in there a little bit? You know, Scott, that's a great question. And nobody's ever asked me that before, by the way. I think there was probably a part of me that said, because that was my dad. And I learned that about my dad going through this is that he really lived in a lot of fear, fear of taxes, fear of the government, fear of being shut down, fear. And going through this process, as I talk about in the book, I had a lot of self-doubt and I had to work through and a lot of stuff that I had to really work through as a, to be an effective leader. And I think through this, it did test that piece of it. And I had to really get over the fear of things. Finally, you just say, so what? If this all goes to, you know, hell in a handbasket, you know, that's the way it is. That's the way it's going to be. But you have to get over that fear. I told myself, I can't live in that fear because if fear motivates you or fear is there, you're not going to be as effective as you can be. And I think you're right. I think my dad had a little bit of that. And I really had to fight that to really... Or we all, I mean, it's in our blood, but we have to fight that. Absolutely. That's a great question. I like that. You said it's in your blood. It, it's actually in your mind. The reason I asked that question, think a lot about this. I've been spending the last four or five months with Positive Intelligence, which is a book, but it's also a program. But it's about exactly what you're talking about. As things happen to you, it can go one of two ways down your brain. And this is scientific, but there's one way, which is where most of us operate, and that's in the saboteur land. And that's all the negative emotions of self-doubt, imposter syndrome, fear. And we label the saboteurs, but ultimately we all have them to some degree. Some are stronger than others. And those things take over because it's what you've grown up around. It's how you've developed as a person. You don't have them at birth, but over the course of time, stuff happens. It hits your brain and they go down this protective path. So you build this fake coat of armor. I don't know how else to describe it, but this fake insulation that, oh, I'll just, right, I have those. And when someone says, well, I'm motivated by fear, what I'm saying is, well, you're motivated by your saboteurs because that is somehow, what if you actually were motivated by your sage? And the sage side of your brain, which is the other half of your brain, allows you to be empathetic, be vulnerable, think about how you might innovate differently. Like there's, there's a lot of power in the sage, but it's just untapped for so many of us, myself included. So as you're talking, I'm thinking, he's right there, right? You're using a little different language, but it's the same gist, it's the same idea. Good news is, and I had to work with a coach on this. I actually had a rubber band around my wrist. And anytime I'd say something negative, I had to stop myself. <laughs> that's tough. I got other techniques if you want them. That's a tough one, but I totally get what you're saying. Like, but it's the snap back into it, right? Yeah, totally. Well, of course, hey, I'll never forget. It was 35 times. And every time you snap yourself, you got to write down what, what we use. What's that negative self-talk? What are you afraid of? Yeah. Write that down. By the end of the month, I was down to zero. It took me a month. 
get from 35 down to zero. But 35, the first day. Uh, I get it. Yeah. This, so this program does it a little bit differently, but there's different mechanisms that he, that uh, the author of the book and the creator of the program follows. It's not the snap, but it's take a moment, take a quick breath. Don't meditate because that's a lot to do. Take a quick breath or, hey, wh what about if you rubbed your hands together and just focused on that instead of focusing on whatever that thing that just hit your brain was. So in your case, it was the snap, which is a real physical thing. He just came up with some other suggestions, but it's all the same concept, like redirect the mind. Vacate the mind really is what, what his coaching is. Just don't think about anything instead of that fear. And then over the course of time, you build the strength, the mental fitness to go. So love that you spent some time there and doing it. So one book down, when, did, when was it released? Brent, when was it actually released? It was released last May. Okay. It's all, hey, look, getting the book across the line is awesome. So congratulations on that. It's beautiful. Right now, I'm really kind of going out and talking about it. Yeah. Probably made the mistake. The timing was not the best. I came out with May, had two daughters get married in the summer. I thought, you know what? Again, it's back to your family first. All right. This book will wait. We'll get it in place. But yeah. So full out going out promoting it. Beautiful. And I've started book number two. I think that's what you're leaving. I was going to ask, like, oh, so where do we go from here? What's next up? Yeah. So number two is in the offering. That's fantastic. I kind of use this time off with the leg, with my knee out that. Well, Brent, you can't just leave it there. Tell the story of what you thought you could do and what, what you did. I know this about you. So like what happened? <laughs> we have a company basketball team and thought I could play. I thought I was in my twenties and non-contact just running down the court and I trip, I fall. And I fractured my right knee. Six weeks, yes, I'm not supposed to do anything on it, so I'm home. But it's given me a whole other awareness focus of putting energy somewhere else. But thankfully, we do have process structure, people in place. Yeah. And I've been in the office a couple times, and it's coming along. I just can't do anything. Can't do too much at this point. Within every challenge or obstacle, there is a gift. You just need to take some time to find it. Sometimes it takes a little longer. You're right. Admittedly so, right? Something tough happens. Like it may take a little bit longer to gain the perspective and, and to gain the wisdom to realize, oh, there was a different outcome than what I expected to be. But if you do spend the time in, in the negative, in the saboteur land, you'll never come around it. So it sounds like you have at least gotten to the place where you can say, okay, there's going to be something. I'm going to make something positive from this. I can find an, a gift in what's happened to me. So good for you to do that. Do you have an outline or a concept of what the next book's going to look like? The first book was really centered around what's inside of you. Yeah. And now it's more about, and I kind of use that term infrastructure again. You got to have a strong infrastructure as a leader, but you absolutely can break through. And here's some breakthroughs that I've discovered. Here's some wins that you can have, but it really takes a strong foundation. And then what happens from there? You know, what are the possibilities? One example is happening right just in the last two weeks. And we talked about fear, uh, yeah. fear of health care costs and things like that. Yeah. We opened our first, we opened a medical clinic on site for employees so that they can go see the doctor or anything, the employees and their families. And that primary care costs, we're going to try and take care of it. We partner with a local company here because we've got to drive this cost down somehow. And we're not going to do it by increasing deductibles and passing the costs onto the employees. We want to do something different. And I think those are the kinds of things for, as a leader that you, when you work with your team that you just, you think really outside the box, how can we drive these costs down? There's got to be a way to do it. You can't do it the, the normal way. So what's something that we can do outside of that to do that, to keep our plan in place and keep that benefit packaging? What's the first value you told me about? People first. Yeah, exactly. It fits right in. Right. Yeah. It's right. It's right there. Right. And, and really been making that happen for them. I remember when you, you mentioned that to me when we talked previously about about what you're doing there. And it, it's just fantastic. I'm going to make the assumption that that was really well received. 
So far, yeah. I think some employees have not had physicals like in five or six years. So they're finally getting their first physical in five or six years just to even see. The preventative side of that is so critical, right? And I spent a lot of time with that. I used to do some work in the Medicare space and all the Medicare providers were all about the preventative side because obviously it took place folks age, right? If you, if you let that go, it's, it's just going to escalate in, in terms of the potential, uh, lack of a word, catastrophic or serious health issue that you could have, which is super expensive. But if you can get oh, it, ahead of the game, it's much better for all involved, the, the individual, but also the cost, the system as a whole. My story to my the employees are going to be, hey, I fell, I fractured my knee, but if I wouldn't have started down this path five years ago, I know this happens seven years ago, I'm having surgery. There's no way that it, it would heal. So absolutely, preventive is the way. So what you're doing for the people. Anything else next uh, Next up for Midwest Labs? Just what, you know, where are you heading next? Any, any of the big things that you can share that's in the offering? Well, this new campus, I think is going to be really, yeah. another thing that I think on that, you learn from your mistakes. Two years ago, we started down this process and you get the final estimated figure and you're a hundred million off, only a hundred million. So that's a big, just between friends. So you start over and you've come up with another plan. And as I said earlier, we wanted a way to cash flow the business and not look for outside partners. And we have a plan now in place. We're trying to get the estimate, but I think the other part is we just have to do it and break it up in pieces, but we're building it for growth. Most labs you see today are the most tight, filled with junk stuff, rooms, whether it's college, high school, or in businesses, they're just full, or even in medical. We want an open concept of lab space, fewer supplies maybe in a certain area so that, again, we can maximize the space, grow as we grow, and not worry about, well, we just built this like we have today, our 14 buildings. Now we don't know where to go with that and expand. Yeah, that's big stuff. Awesome. Brett, this is awesome stuff. I really appreciate that. Just remind us again, book title and where can they find it? Give it another plug. Leaders Look Within. You can find it on Amazon. If you search my name, there's not too many Brett Pullman things on Amazon. CEOofyourheart.com is the website. LinkedIn, again, is a place you can connect with me. That's where I tell most people to connect with me. Typically, I have a morning routine and I post something daily in the morning, something of value, again, that more faith-driven, but that's where my values come from. And if that's interests you, certainly uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Yeah, and be authentic about it. Fantastic, fantastic. Brent, thank you so much for the time, for sharing, for willing to to share a little bit about your story and, and answering some of my uh, off beaten path questions. I appreciate that. Let's uh, let's get to know you a little bit better. We always end up all of our uh, interviews with our rapid fire questions, five fast questions. So first and foremost, what is your favorite sports team or athlete? Sports team, Kansas City Chiefs. They, they have always been since the 80s. It had to be. It's hot. It's hot. We're recording before the Super Bowl, folks, but I think it'll be released afterwards. Uh, we don't know. Right now, Brent's happy. We'll just see what it's like. You know, we've got, we got a couple weekends to go. Yes. This was like an amazing year for them to get this far. I cannot believe it. What would you eat if it were your last meal? So really, what's that favorite meal that would be that last meal? Guilt-free as well. Always guilt-free. I'm probably more, I'm a, I'm a meat person. I mean, I know everyone that goes to veggies or different protein. I like protein and meat, so any type of meat. Do you have a dream vacation spot? Yeah, actually, um, my dream vacation spot, I really like being close to home. About two years ago, we put in a pool outside, and I, for the summer, I, it is just, for me, it's just coming home. It's always there. We can connect with family, brings the family back home, and that's what it's all about for me, too. I just really like it close to home. 
But the dream vacation is a, a staycation. Just stay, stay in there. And re- Do you have a favorite movie or a TV show that you like to rewatch? So uh, just something that kind of always you come back to just for fun and that you enjoy. My kids give me a hard time, but I love The Fugitive. Harrison Ford. Perfect. And if you slow, the, even if as a Chief fan, if you slow down the parade, there's a guy in a, wearing a Kansas City Chiefs jacket in that parade. One of my favorite podcasts to listen to is a, is a show called The Rewatchables, and they just did The Fugitive, and you can hear them kind of go back through the inner work of the uh, movie. And so it's always cool just to kind of hear it through their eyes and get a little backstory on it. So get a chance and grab The Rewatchables. All right, last one. Do you have a piece of advice or a favorite quote that you seem to come back to time and again? My favorite quote, I got it when I uh, actually saw Tom Peters, but it was a guy that Tom Peters worked with. It's um, Nicholas Negroponte, and he says, incrementalism is innovation's worst nightmare. And I really like that. Just always stuck with me um, over the years that with change, there's going to be a lot of big change. And yes, you want to do it incrementally, but I think you can go, you can do it bigger and better. Great book. 10X is easier than 2X. It's a book that's out there by Dan Sullivan. He released it last year, I think, but just speaks to that exact thing. You're thinking you're metal and just trying to double, just go big and do the things to go big and you'll see your gains will be that much greater. So right, right on point there. Brent, this has been awesome. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for sharing so much with us. Uh, hopefully get some folks to go out there and, and grab your book and uh, best of luck in the healing process. And we'll just see how the Chiefs do here in a couple of weeks uh, from now. And uh, we'll by the time we're out there, this will be over. We'll have a hopefully a happy Brent. Thanks again for your time, man. Great stuff. Thank you, Scott. This has been great. Have a great one. Thanks. The Grow Your Damn Business podcast is hosted by Scott Goodrich, a professional EOS implementer. To learn more about EOS and how it might help grow your damn business, you can email Scott at scott.goodrich at eosworldwide.com or check out his website at www.eosworldwide.com forward slash Scott hyphen Goodrich. This podcast is a production of Old Soul. Old Soul is a one-stop marketing agency that builds podcasts for personal brands and businesses. If you're interested in starting your own podcast show, shoot them an email at info at aoldsoul.com. That's info at aoldsoul.com. Thank you for listening to the Grow Your Damn Business Podcast. If you found this conversation valuable, subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on your favorite podcast platform. We will see you next week on the Grow Your Damn Business Podcast.